Well, we've had a wonderful couples conference, and uh, everything has been hunky-dory, to use a colloquial expression. And uh, I hope that you, most of you have been there, and I hope you have benefited from it. They interviewed Dr. B.R. Lakin one time after 50 years of marriage, and they said, Dr. Lakin, in all of your years, did you ever consider divorce? He was shocked. He said, divorce? A man of God? Divorce? A preacher? Divorce? Of course not. Murder? Yes. I've thought about killing her a few times, but I... I thought about killing her a few times, but I never thought about divorcing. I'm open to Psalms chapter number four, please. And uh, we'll read one verse. We sang one chorus. We'll read one verse and then do as much as we can with the time that is left. And so here we are in Psalms chapter number four and verse number four. I, I hate to disrupt your comfort zone, but you didn't stand for the chorus, so I'll have you stand for the scriptures. Everybody stand, please. And uh, I'll read verse 3 and then into verse 4. But know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. Uh, The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Can you hear me all right, by the way? Can everyone hear me? I've got a treble voice, and usually I'm pretty good, uh, but I don't want to... uh, I don't want to, I want to make sure you can hear. Now notice verse number four with me real quickly. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still, see lot. The word commune means communication. Uh, but it, commune in specific means communi- communication in a two-way <laughs> uh, traffic zone. You're talking with somebody and they're talking with you. You're not talking at them and they're not talking at you. You're communing with them. Commune simply means talk. Now, who are we talking to here? According to this verse, we're told to commune with your own heart. So literally, you're talking to yourself. Someone said years ago, well, Dr. Curtis Hudson said, everybody ought to learn to talk to the devil. He said, I talk to the devil every day of my life. And I was shocked. I said, "Uh, Dr. Hudson, uh, Curtis Hudson, editor of the Sword of the Lord, I said, Dr. Hudson, what do you say to yourself? Uh, 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 What do you say to Satan? And he said, I say things like this, now devil, I know who's putting these thoughts in my mind. I know who's trying to make me jealous or angry or whatever it is. Now, devil, in the name and the blood of Jesus, get out of here and leave me alone. He said, I talk to the devil every day of my life. Well, we ought to talk to God every day of our life. Every morning when you get up, you ought to address the Lord Jesus Christ and talk with him. And if you don't, you're going to be talking to the devil soon. You're not going to have enough power to know what to say to him. So number one, talk to God. Number two, you need to learn to talk to the devil. And number three, you need to learn to talk to yourself. This doctrine is taught all through the Bible. It says, standing on, commune not, uh, and sin not, commune with your own heart upon your bed. I could go through the Bible showing you places like Psalm 77, 6. I commune with my own heart and my spirit made diligent search. How about Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 6, where Nehemiah said, I consulted with myself. How about Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 16, speaking of Solomon, it says, I commune with my own heart. How about the prodigal son down by the hog pen, the Bible says, and when he came to who? Himself. 
himself. Over and over and over, and I'll show you other places in the Bible, over and over and over in the Bible, we are taught and even mandated and commanded to talk to ourselves. God has put certain wisdom down inside of us through the experiences of life that are compiled in there, and he expects us to draw on that wealth of wisdom that we already have. Well, look, Lord, give me wisdom. Many times we've already got wisdom. All we have to do is sit down and have a talk with ourselves. And so we need to talk with ourselves. But when do we talk to ourselves? That's what I'm going to teach to you about. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege to be under the spout where the glory comes out. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the word of God, a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our pathway. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'll teach us the things that we need to know this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, please. You may turn quickly to Luke 16, or you may just jot it down, whichever is most convenient for you. I will certainly read it. You can study it later. But in Luke chapter 16, the Lord Jesus is speaking, and here's what he said. And he said also unto his disciples, there was a certain rich man had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, how is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship. For thou mayest no longer be steward. I put you in charge of my assets, and I hear that you're wasting my goods. I hear that you are not taking care of the things that you're paid to take care of for me. Notice verse number three. Then the steward said within himself. Now, wait a minute. Who is he talking to? Himself. He said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. And here's what he said. I cannot dig and to beg I'm ashamed. Now now picture this. He literally drug up a chair and he said within himself, what shall I do? What am I going to do? I'll pull this over here where others can see me. And he literally set himself down and he had a talk. And here's what he said. What are you going to do? You cannot dig. You've never been into manual labor. You've always been into management. And to beg, you, go, you want to lose your you want to lose your job. You want to you want to be a pauper. Do you want to be on the street? I don't know what I'm gonna do. I mean, he's already called me in, and, and it is true I've mismanaged some things, and I don't have. He said, "Well, you better figure something out, and you better figure it out fast, because uh, you you're getting called on the carpet, and, and you go to and." Uh, He said, but I don't know what am I going to do. He's talking to himself. And all of a sudden he says, hey, wait a minute. I got it. I know what I'll do. I'll just go out and find everybody that owes him and tell them to give him 50% of everything they owe him and he can walk out scot-free and never pay the rest of it. Now, the plan that he came up with was a pretty stupid, well, I shouldn't use that word, a pretty dumb plan, okay? Pretty dumb plan. Uh, But the Lord commended him. And here's why he commended him, not because he came up with a good plan, but because the children of this world are wiser in their generation than the children of light. The children of this world don't talk to God. And most of them don't talk to the devil. There are devil worshipers out there, but most of them aren't devil worshipers. They don't talk to God. They don't talk to them. But they do talk to themselves. But Christian people fail in that area. And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely, because he talked to himself. He sat down and had a conversation with himself. And but but the plan he came up with was pretty 
dumb plan. Let me ask you a question. If you hired a man to take care of your assets and that man told everybody that owed you to just give you 50% of everything they owed you and they could just walk out scot-free and not pay the rest, would you keep him or would you fire him? I'd fire him. So the plan was not a good plan, but the process was a good process. He talked to himself. Here's the, here's the point I want to make on this point. Talk to yourselves in the hour of decision. Talk to yourselves in the hour of decision. Uh, preacher, I'll, uh, Brother Ives and Pastor, I'll give one for y'all. There was a man in the Midwest some years ago. He had a church. Uh, maybe he was running 150, 200. I don't know. It was a good, healthy church. And uh, he was from the South. He got a call to go South. And uh, uh, he was originally from uh, Louisiana. And he got a call to go South. And so, man, you heard of the fellow that says, I just got a call. I don't know if God's in it or not, but honey, you go up and be packing while I pray about it, you know. And, uh, I mean, and so uh, he talked to me about it. And uh, I chatted with him a little bit. And uh, I, I'm hoping that I helped him to talk to himself a little bit because here's what he did. He pulled out a piece of paper and on one side he wrote down all the reasons why he ought to go south. Number one, my mom and dad are there. They're getting older. They're going to need me. Number two, I am a sportsman, and the sport is great there. And, uh, and, and that's it. number three, I am a Southerner. I talk like a Southerner. I eat like a Southerner. I think like a Southerner. And, and he wrote down all the reasons why he ought to go south. On the other side of the paper, he wrote down all the reasons that he ought to stay. Now, he's talking with himself. So on that side, here's what he wrote down. God put me here. He stopped, stared at it, tore up the paper, threw it in the trash can and stayed, built a church to 1,200 over a period of years. Now, here's what I'm saying. He had a talk with himself. Talk with yourselves in the hour to see. I'm thinking now of a young man who worked with our young people years ago. He was not paid. It was early days of the church and God was blessing him. And he had two or three little children the same age as my children. And uh, he was doing well. He had a good position with a, a job nearby. And uh, he came to me one day and he says, well, pastor, I hate to tell you this. They're going to move me. I said, who's going to move you? He said, my work. By the way, let me pause right there and say this. It might be that you ought to resign your position and get another job. It might be that you ought to resign here and move to Timbuktu. But don't let anybody move you but God. Don't let anybody, nobody should move me, move you and me but God. And I could give you many illustrations. But anyway, he says they're going to move me. And I said, well, brother, is there a good church in that town you're going to? Well, he said, they say there is. That's not going to cut it. You went on vacation and you found out how hard it is to find a good independent fundamental premillennial temperamental Baptist church out there somewhere. You, you found out how hard it was. You know how many real good churches there are. Oh, there's churches. I mean, that's rock and roll churches and high steeple, few people churches and all kinds of churches. But I'll tell you this right now. You find a church like this right here, you'll be doing a good job. 
I'm not saying there's not some. I'm sure there are, but, but you'll be doing a good job. Now, so he said, well, you know, uh, they say there is. Well, he moved there and with no good church like he had. Some years later, he called me crying one night. He said, Pastor, one of my little girls is expecting out of wedlock. I never dreamed one of my children would do that. And, you know, I never said a word. We pastors, we want to say, I tried to tell you, you wouldn't listen. All of his children's contemporaries, all of them on that inner circle were growing up and doing well. There wasn't a single solitary one of the ones left behind that had done anything like that. Now, I can't prove they don't, and sometimes they do out of a good fundamental church, but the problem is he took his children out from under good, thunderous, instructional, conviction, preaching, and King James Bible, and good music, and good fellowship, and other young people of their own association and he paid the price because he didn't sit out and have a talk with himself. You said, well, I'm going to make $5 more an hour. Well, in the first place, by the time you get moved and do your driving, you may not make as much extra as you think. And number two is this, $5 an hour is a mighty, uh, mighty high price to pay for watching your little girl have to spend the rest of her life in shame and disgrace and marry some Jehu and live that way the rest of her life. I'm just saying, uh, in the hour, by the way, we got some young people in here. Let me throw one out for you. When I organized the Marion Avenue Baptist Church, it's been 50 years ago this year. Uh, <clears throat> uh, we had uh, four men and their wives. We had four teenagers. And uh, uh, w- one of those teenagers was a young girl by the name of Joyce. Her mother and daddy went to a great church in a distant city. And they were so overwhelmed, they came home and told her, says, we have arranged for you to board away with a member of that church now, the girl was only 15, I think, and uh, board away with a member of that church and uh, go to that school. There was a Christian school. They were going to go to that school. She was already in a Christian school. It wasn't uh, as good as it should have been, but it was a Christian school. And, uh, and we've already made plans. That's what you're going to do. And I'll never forget hearing her say later, as she referred back to that, that's pretty traumatic on a 15-year-old girl. That's pretty traumatic on anybody. But especially, And by the way, uh, there were wonderful, godly people. I do not agree with the decision they made. I think a 15-year-old girl needs her mother and daddy about as bad as she needs anybody else in this world. Now, that's my opinion. If their mother and daddy are crude Christian people, and these were. And so I remember her saying, what am I going to do? She said, I thought to myself, Thought to who? Myself. What am I going to do? I can't do that. I wasn't made for the big city. I wasn't made. Look, I've got my friends, and, 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 and I was raised on the farm. Man, we're in Iowa. It's hogs and corn and soybeans and, and, and turkeys and, and some cattle. And, uh, and what am I going to do? I wake up every morning to the hog feeders flapping out in the backyard, and, and I'm not made for that city, and I'm not made for I can't do that. And then I remember she said to herself, are you listening, young people? She said to herself, I don't know what I'm... She's talking to herself. She said, Joyce, what are you going to do? And she said, I don't know. Look, my mom and daddy says it's a done deal. They they said I'm going. I I can't do it. But what am I going to do? And she said to herself, well, you better figure something out because we're coming down to the wire. And here's what she said. I'll never forget what she said. She said, I don't know what I'm going to do. But I do know what I'm not going to do. 
I'm not going to walk over my mom and daddy. I'm not going to become a little rebel devil. I'm not going to rebel. I'm not going to go against the Bible. I don't know what I'm going to do. I just know what I'm not going to do. And by the way, shock of all shocks, they never changed their mind. And she went and graduated and went to college there and graduated again and met a young man by the name of Terry Angel. Anybody ever hear that name? Raise your hand. And before Terry graduated from college, while they were still students, I hired Terry to be my assistant pastor. He came with me. He was with me 10 years. Then he took a church in Bourbon, Illinois. And when he got over there, uh, they started having more babies. They had two while with us. They ended up with six children, most of which are full-time in service of the Lord. The church has grown to 600. Joyce goes around speaking to ladies and is a blessing to everybody. Oh, because she had a talk with herself. Young people, you're going to have to have a talk with yourself. Mamas and daddies, you're going to have to have a talk with yourself. Talk with yourself. Good. Talk to God. Talk to the devil. But talk to yourself. It's commanded in the Bible. And by the way, when you talk to yourself, be honest with yourself. In Luke 12, 16, I'm just throwing out some scriptures here now. This is Sunday school. This is the time we learn something. Uh, in, in Luke 16, um, uh, where is it now? In Luke 12, 16, uh, there was a, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And uh, he said within himself, are you with me? He said within himself, what are you going to do? I mean, you, you got more than, than you can handle. Where, where are you going to put all this grain? And here's what he said. He lied to himself. He said to himself, best thing I can do is just build huge barns and pile it all up. Uh-uh. He lied to himself. The easiest person in the world to lie to is yourself because you don't give yourself any competition back. Uh, the easiest person in the world to lie to is yourself. He should have said, man, I've got more than I can handle. What should a person do if they've got more than they can handle? Give to somebody that don't have more than they can handle. Say amen right there. Give to God's work. Invest in something eternal. Do, if you've got more than you can handle, I mean, invest in, in something worthy. But he lied to himself. You, you know, there's a verse in Proverbs 29, verse 15, and I love this verse. It says, Woe be unto them who seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord. Did you ever just, in my life, I never found a verse like that. Woe be unto them who seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord. So in other words, you seek deep not to admit to God or to yourself what you really know you should do and what you really know you should say to yourself and you seek deep. So in the hour of decision, talk to yourself. In the hour of decision, be honest with yourself. And number two, in the hour of testing, talk to yourself. First Samuel chapter 30 and verse number six, and I'll just allude to it. Let me quote it for the sake of time. The Bible says that David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him, but David encouraged, say it with me, himself. And the Lord his God. It's all over the Bible, folks. Are you practicing it? Do you consistently practice setting yourself down, having a talk with yourself? And he said, 
he said within himself, and David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. The people spake of stoning him because he had made a stupid decision, a dumb decision, that had cost he and his faithful people their wives and children. And when you make a decision that costs your friends, their wives and children, they're going to speak of stoning you too. They're going to be against you too. And so now he's down. He's made a crazy decision. Now his own people's about to revolt on him. David, what are you going to do? I don't know what I'm going to do. David encouraged himself in the Lord. What did he say to himself? I don't know. The Bible doesn't record it. But I know what I can say to myself when I'm discouraged. I know some things that I can say to myself and you know some things you can say to yourself and you and I are responsible to God to say them. We have no right to wallow around in our self-pity and be down. We need to encourage ourselves. We need to talk to ourselves in the hour of testing. Uh, My first wife died with cancer, 39 years, wonderful, dedicated Christian lady. My, My wife Rhonda here, my second wife, will often refer to her when she teaches classes and so forth and uh, different thing carries a part of her diary and reads it and, and, uh, Rhonda's first husband, Jerry, was a wonderful, dedicated Christian who puts me to shame in a lot of areas. We have no hangups about our previous spouses. We don't, uh, we had wonderful marriages and you don't take a big eraser and reach up and erase 37 years for, uh, 39 years for me and 35 years for her. You don't do that. If you do, you erase your children and you erase all the victories that God gave and, and all your life, most of your life. So anyway, but um, uh, my first wife died with cancer, breast cancer, ladies, and she ended up, she'd been in Mayo Clinic here in Yonder, she died at home, and as she was down for the count, uh, she could hardly talk, and she said to me, she said, Larry, how are the children doing? We had seven children. She said, how are the children doing? I said, well, pretty good. I said, I've got one that's worrying me. She said, what's wrong with her? I said, well, she's saying things to me like, Dad, you don't have to worry about it. Mom's not going to die. God would not let my mother die, she said. My mother, who's won souls and taught Sunday school and lived the Christian life, look, when she died, there were gifts sitting around the door. When she drew her last breath, she died there at home. There were bags and gifts around the door to give to ladies at the church that needed encouragement and all. And and I mean, that's the kind of life she lived. And she was a storybook mom and uh, homeschooled all seven of them all the way through. And, and, uh, And she said, God will not let my mother die. And I said, it bothers me. She said, send her to me. And she came in. I think she was 21, 22 years old. She looked up at her and she said, girl, I want to tell you something. When I was 16 years old, my 39-year-old mother had a convulsion at home and died within sight of the house in the ambulance. And I was over her body in the ambulance when she died. It was the darkest day of my life. I didn't have a boyfriend. I didn't have a close friend of any kind. She was very popular and very uh, wonderful, but she, she lived a very private life. And she said, I didn't have a close friend. I didn't have a boyfriend. I didn't have anything. I didn't even have a sister. I was the only girl in the family. And I thought life would end there. But I'm going to tell you, life did not end there. The best of my life was yet ahead. Your your dad, this great ministry we've built, you seven children, 
and a host of other things. The best of my life was still ahead. And I want to tell you something. If I can bury my 39-year-old mother when I'm 16, you can bury your 58-year-old mother when you're 21. Now straighten up. And she did. You say, well, how'd that girl come? Boy, she got her to talk to herself. You say, how'd that girl come out? Oh, she married Dr. Jack Schreiber's son, and uh, they've got a great church in Phoenix, Arizona, and she's a happy mother of five children and just doing fine. You're going to have to talk to yourself in the hour of testing. Talk to yourself in the hour of uh, uh, darkness. Uh, talk to yourself. Uh, you know what? I preached all my life, God's grace is sufficient. No matter what you face, then I got cancer. And they thought I was going to die. My wife thought I'd die. My children thought I'd die. I thought I was going to die. Everybody in the world thought I was going to die, but God. And uh, I'm telling you, I had to talk to myself. I mean, there was a, if you've ever had cancer, you thought you was going to die? There's some people in this room like that. And if not, there's some people in this room going to face this before life's over. It's like a dark veil is hanging over your head. You can't shake it. It's, it's on you. Think, oh, God, I'm in a trap. I'm, I'm going to die. Lord, I don't want to die. I want to live. And, and I had to set myself down and say, now, look, Brown, you have preached all these years that God's grace is sufficient for people. If God's grace was sufficient for all of those people you preached to, it's sufficient for you. And it's going to be. So now you straighten up. And I had to talk to myself. By the way, that's been 21 years ago. <laughs> And God can die next week with cancer. As far as I know, I'm cancer-free today, but that, that's today. But I'm just saying this. I don't know what's going to come, but I have to ha sit down and have a talk with myself in the hour of, uh, uh, in the hour of testing. Um, sit down and t drag up a chair and say things like, look, you're not the only person that ever had a child that went astray. You're not the only person that had a husband walked off and left you high and dry. You're not the only person that ever had cancer. You're not the only person that ever lost your job. Talk to yourself. Talk to yourself. You're not the only person that ever had people hurt somebody that you really loved and cared about. You're not the only person that went out yonder and buried a baby or a son or a daughter or a spouse. Have a talk with yourself. Have a talk with yourself in the hour of testing, in the hour of testing. Uh, number three, I like this one. Have a talk to yourself in the hour of life's natural crises. Psalms 90, verse number 12. Well, let me allude to this. It says, we spend our years as a tale that is told. Psalms 90, verse number 12 said, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Our days have certain cycles. Our days have, it, we spend our life as a tale that is told. A tale that is told, any book you ever read has chapters in it. And you start out in the first chapter and everybody's going to be doomed and everybody's going to die. But then you learn the characters as you go along. At the end of the book, you find out what happens. Don't, you got to realize your life is cycles. Let me give you three of them right now. There's a thousand of them, but let me give you three of them right away. Youth, middle age, and old age. Now, there would be a lot of argument in here about where one stops and the other starts. We all three have to agree they do. We all have to agree they three do exist, right? Okay, so are we all in agreement? They do exist. Okay, now, watch this. You ever think about the verse in 1 John says, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, that's youth. 
The lust of the, uh, that's youth. You know, the flesh. The lust of the eyes, the desire, the lust of the flesh, the desire to enjoy something. The lust of the eyes, the desire to get something. I mean, after all, we're 50 years old. We're 45 and 50 years old. We, we, we got to pile up. We got to get ready. We're going to get old and we get old. We won't have anything. If you don't watch, you'll pile up and leave God out. Got to get this house paid for. Got to buy that little piece of property. Got to have some assets. Got to put more in our retirement. Got to, you know, panicky. The lust of the flesh, the desire to enjoy something. Lust of the eyes, the desire to get something. And then old age, the pride of life and the desire to be something. The pride of life. Let me tell you what I used to do when I was a boy. You little whippersnappers think you've done something. Hey. One fellow said, did I tell you about my new grandson? And his friend said, no, and I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much for not doing it. The pride of life. But there's all, all kinds of other cycles of life. Um, <laughs> I got a preacher friend that you would know his name if I called his name. And he said, I was with a pastor two or three times, a great successful fellow over a period of years and said he got up about 45, 50 years old, said one of the most bedrock, solid, straight line guys emotionally you ever saw in your life. And I went to preach for him last time. He was still in the same church, but said when I came out of that jetway there and he picked me up, he said, preacher, I'm glad you're here. Come here. I got to show you. you. I got to show you what I got. And we went out there and he had bought one of these tiny little expensive sports cars. He said, get in here, preacher. Well, my preacher friend was a very large man. And he said, I got in that little sports car and my knees were right up under my chin like this. He said, preacher, let me show you what this thing will do. He said, he about jerked a nut. He said, I needed a chiropractor when he got done. You know what he was doing? He was going through the change of life. We talk about women, change of life. Men are worse than women oftentimes. And don't look at me, bug-eyed. I know my biology, but, but men are worse than women sometimes. I mean, a man comes to the stage in age, he feels like youth is fleeing him. Somebody drops a hint. Well, you're not as young as you used to be. Oh, he panics. So he's got to do something to prove that he's still got it. So what's one of the first things a man will do to prove to himself and others that he's still got it? Try to get the attention of a younger woman. And there's always some ditzy young female willing to receive the attention of a man above about any age. Say amen right there. So what does he do? He throws his marriage away, his home away, and half his fortune away and ruins his testimony because he's trying to prove he's not accepting the cycle of life that he's in. Hello? Talk to yourself in the natural cycles of life. Uh, you know, I was on an airplane. I was talking to a lady, 50-ish lady, and she, she was um, uh, a teacher in the Roman Catholic Church. And I was being friendly, warming up. She, I'm sitting down. She's a stewardess, and she had finished her leg of the uh, service there. And uh, she, I said, she told me about her children. I said, well, tell me about your husband. Well, my husband divorced me. I said, oh, what a shame. I'm so sorry. And she stared out the airplane window. She's looking down through the window. She said, yeah, she said, he went through the change of life and took off after a younger woman. And, uh, and then she said the funniest thing. She said, you know what's funny about that? She said, we women, we go through the change of life. We just dye our hair a different color or something. <laughs> but he said, these men go stone crazy. And she's right. She is right. She is right. 
And uh, it's the funniest thing. Uh, girl grew up in my church. Preachers, teachers, you would have been thrilled if that had been your daughter. That girl never turned her head toward the world. She never put on anything. You wouldn't have been thrilled for one of your daughters to marry. I mean, totally. And she married well, married a boy in the Bible college, had several children, went in the ministry, building a great church, and came to my wife one day and said, I'm tempted to wear things I've never put on. I'm tempted to go places I've never been. I'm tempted to do things I've never done. What is wrong with me? And my wife said, say, honey, it's just your age. Women come to an age. You get all these ding-dong ideas in their head, you know, squirrely ideas. You got to talk to yourself. You've reached this age and all kinds of uh, nutty ideas fly through your head. You got to talk to you. One woman said, I'm driving my husband crazy. Most, hey, the most dedicated woman in the church outside of my wife. And she told my wife, said, I am driving my husband crazy. My wife said, well, what are you doing? She said, well, he comes home. He's a farmer. He came home. She said, I'm asking him 40, 11 questions about where he's been, who he's been talking to. And she said, I've never been this way before. And my wife said, well, has he given you any reason to believe that he has taken an interest in something? No. And my wife said to her, honey, it's just your age. You go through this. You've got to talk to yourself. You got to talk to yourself. If not, you're going to ruin your marriage and ruin your life and go insane. And uh, you got to talk to yourself in the hour of uh, life's natural crises. Just drag up a chair, drag up a chair, and have a talk to yourself. Say, look, what age are you? Well, what's that got to do with anything? Well, it's got a whole lot to do with it. Amen? Talk to yourself in the area of life's natural crises. Now, let me give you this. And I'll give you about half of this lesson. That's all I got time for. But I I want to give you this one right here. Talk to yourself in the hour of decision, in the hour of testing, in the hour of life's natural crises. Talk to yourself in the hour of temptation. Nehemiah chapter 5 and verse number 9 and 6. And listen to what he said. Let me me turn for the sake of time. Nehemiah chapter 5 verse 6. Here's what Nehemiah said. I was very angry. When I heard their cry in these words, wish I had time to develop the context of this. I know. He said, I was very angry when I heard their cry in these words. Then the Bible says, then I consulted with myself. That's Nehemiah chapter 5 and verse 6 and 7. Then I consulted with myself and I rebuked the nobles and the princes. I got the job done. But I got my attitude straight first because I had a little talk. And, uh, and here's what he said. I was very angry. I'm going to go out there and strangle every one of them. They have no right to do what they're doing, dedicate themselves to God, and then turn around and go steal from each other. I, 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 I'm going to kill. Then I had to talk to myself, and I said, Now, Nehemiah, look, you're about to go out there and blow it. You're about to go out there and do something that's going to hurt your testimony. You're about to go out there and do something that you're going to be sorry for and destroy all your credibility. Well, I don't care. They need it. Whether I have any credibility or not, they need it. But he had to talk with himself. Then he went out and did it right. Now, I'm going to tell you something. When you get under the fever of temptation, you ain't got enough sense of getting out of the rain. A preacher whose name that many people in this building would know, I heard that a, that a boy had violated his daughter. 
This was a very dedicated Christian home. And when I heard that, I heard he was going to kill him, that he said he was going to kill him. Well, people blow a lot of smoke, but I knew my friend. And I knew if he said he was going to kill that boy, somebody better be getting to him. But I didn't have time to get to him. He's in another state, so I called him. I said, here, you got a problem. He said, yeah, but I won't have after Saturday night. I said, what do you mean? He said, I'm going to kill that boy. He was talking just as calm as I'm talking to you. He said, I'm going to kill that boy. I said, you're not. He said, watch me. And I knew he was going to do it. I knew he would kill that boy. And he called me his best friend. And he said, would you give me one Bible reason why I shouldn't kill him? I said, yeah, yeah, how about thou shalt not kill one of the Ten Commandments? Would that be, would that be a, a good place to start? And I can give you 50, but let's just start there. Look, I mean, here's a man that had taught, this wasn't a novice. This guy had been in the ministry for years and taught and helped other people with the same problem he had, and yet he don't have enough sense to get in there. He can't even think of a Bible reason not to kill that boy. And I was like pouring water on a duck's back. I couldn't help him. So I had to get drastic. Whether you agree or disagree with what I said, here's what I said. I said, okay, go ahead and kill him. But when you kill him, you kill your daughter also. She's over 18 years of old age. He did not rape her. She has admitted to you that she's party to the sin, that she's as guilty as he is. So don't you be a hypocrite. If you're going to kill him, kill your daughter too. He got quiet. And I said another thing. Are you going to let him do you worse than he's already done? He said, would you tell me what's worse than he's already done? Destroying my daughter's life. I said, I'll tell you exactly what's worse than he's already done. To let him park you in prison to rot for the rest of your life and be taken away from your children who have not done anything wrong. And watch them go to hell. And, 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 and to watch your precious wife who stood with you all these years crushed and brokenhearted and have to live in disgrace the rest of her life because she had a godly husband who turned bad and killed a boy and now he's rotting in a state prison. That's worse. He got quiet. He goes all over America. He don't give the details, but he goes all over America telling people, Larry Brown saved my life. I did not. I did not. All I did was got him to talk to himself. I was preaching in a certain state, and I, I brought out this point in a message, and a lady came to me the night after that, a married lady in the church, and she said, I have been communicating with another married man. We've been talking too personal, too intimate, She said, we have not gone into sin, but we were heading that direction. And when you preached what you did last night, I went home and I sat myself down and I said, what is wrong with you? Are you crazy? You're going to throw your life away and break your husband's heart and destroy that man's life and ruin his marriage and ruin the testimony of God and bring disgrace upon... Are you crazy? She said, immediately got the phone... Called him, said, no more texting, no more calling. I'm done. I don't want to see you. I don't want to be around you. It's over. It's wrong. And and it's done. And she saved her life. She saved her testimony. She saved her children. She saved his family and his marriage and saved her home marriage and saved the church's disgrace and saved a testimony for our Lord. Yeah. In the hour of temptation. Well... I have one minute, according to my watch. 
And I want to ask you the question. Do you need to sit down and have a talk with yourself?